Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Let me let me give you a little background on this first, and then I'm going to pick up your phone calls here. We this train wreck we saw, or maybe it wasn't a train wreck. Maybe what it was was you know just a, a really visible manifestation of what's real right now. We have a racist president calling out to racially based, racially motivated terrorists in the United States to disrupt our elections. There's no other way to say it. And on top of that, we had a so-called debate in which very little debating went on. Instead, it was just yelling and, and tantruming. I mean, the Lincoln Project has an ad out with pictures of Trump doing what he was doing and the sound of a baby crying over it. I mean, this is, we know he has the, the emotional maturity of a seven-year-old, but, but even to talk like that diminishes how serious this is. This is the problem that Germany had in the early 30s when everybody was making fun of Adolf Hitler because he was that funny guy with a mustache who was always doing the Mussolini salute. What's with that? And nobody took him seriously. Take this guy seriously. So anyhow, the Commission on Presidential Debates issued a statement saying, and I quote, Last night's debate made clear that additional structure should be added to the format of the remaining debates to ensure a more orderly discussion of the issues. Now, they haven't figured out what they're going to do. They, they thanked Chris Wallace for his, quote, professionalism and skill. And they said that future debate moderators will have, quote, additional tools to main, maintain order. I'm guessing that'll be something like, you know, uh, what are those air horns that clowns have in the circus? What? <laughs> yeah, like that, or or a uh, you know maybe a giant hook will come out from the side, you know, from behind the curtain, and maybe we could have a bucket of water up above the ceiling that, that drops. You know, Trump is so afraid of water messing up his hair that he wouldn't even go to on the memorial for D-Day. He wouldn't even go to the veterans cemetery because you know, hey, it, it, my hair could get messy or moist or whatever. But anyhow, they say the CPD will be carefully considering the changes it will adopt and will announce these measures, those measures, shortly. Joe Biden was asked about this, not specifically about the Commission on Presidential Debates, but about what happened. And are you going to show up with this guy again? And Biden said, sure. And probably to his, you know, to his credit, you know, putting up with what he put up with. I mean, I... I debate people for a living. I've been doing it on this program for 15 years, 16 years, I think. Maybe maybe 17 years. I, however, since 2003, whatever that is, 17 years. And before that, I used to debate politics with my dad. I mean, you know, I grew up debating. And, you know, truth be told, there have been a few times over the years where I've had people on who basically did the same thing Trump did. It happens when I go on Fox News, for sure, although it's been a while since I've been there. But, you know, the, the, and that is kind of the Fox News world. It's, it's cage fight. It's, you know, just throw them in and let them fight it out. Which, you know, seems to work for the people who watch Fox News, but I don't think it works for the rest of America. And I think it's one of the reasons why Trump is stuck at 30%, because that's basically the Fox News market. 
This is, this, is the, this is the world that Rupert Murdoch has built. He built this world first in Australia and ruined that country. As Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister of Australia, pointed out last year in a Sydney Morning Herald editorial titled, Donald, excuse me, uh, Rupert Murdoch is the cancer on Australian democracy. Then Kevin Rudd points out, prime minister, former Australian prime minister, Kevin Rudd points out, Murdoch went to the United Kingdom where he bought the Times of London and a bunch of other newspapers. He did the same thing to the UK and flipped their politics hard right. And then he moved to the United States with his wife, who was a Chinese spy, apparently. At least there's more than a few reports suggesting that. And flipped American politics. And in fact, apropos of that, there, there was a, a piece, I believe it was the Financial Times, I'm not, I, I don't recall, I read several newspapers this morning, um, saying that China was elated with the results of yesterday's debate. Well, of course, anything that hurts America, the Chinese are very much in favor of. They just executed 20 American spies in China. 20 Chinese people who were spying on behalf of the United States. They cracked our code, they found them, they executed them. I don't know why this is not top of the news. Similarly, uh, you know, Mike Pompeo wants to go. He's, he's a Catholic, right? So he wants to go have a private audience with the Pope. <laughs> and the Pope said, no, I've had a private audience with the Pope, right? It was John Paul II, but I've had a private audience with the Pope. But Mike Pompeo, no, the Pope is not interested. Thank you very much. In fact, I spent several hours with the Pope, with Pope John Paul II. It's so bizarre. It is so bizarre. What is going on right now? There was a fellow by the name of Kevin Stuckey. He was a black guy, and he was working for AutoZone, right? And these are two stores in Chicago. One is in a predominantly black neighborhood, the other in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And AutoZone had been staffing their stores with people who were of the same ethnicity or race or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Hispanics in the Hispanic store and blacks in the, in the African-Americans in the black neighborhood. And Kevin Stuckey wanted, he lived near the Hispanic store, he wanted to work at the Hispanic store. And uh, when they said, no, you got to work at the black store because you're a black guy, he sued. He said, that's, you know, that, that's racial discrimination. And he lost. And so he appealed and he lost the appeal too. And this is the dissent in, I believe he lost the appeal too. And this is the dissent that was authored in this case. This is the dissent to the appeal. In other words, the, the appeal said separate but equal is just fine. And the dissent was not joined by Amy Coney Barrett. She did not join this dissent. So basically, what they're in this dissent, they're referring to the panel, they're referring to her. Under the panel's reasoning, the separate but equal arrangement is permissible under Title VII so long as the separate facilities really are equal. We can start with Brown to find support for the proposition that separate is always inherently unequal. In addition to the dignitary harm Stuckey suffered by being the victim of overt racial segregation, AutoZone's practice of designating the Kedzie store as the Hispanic store, the Roseland store as the African American store, deprived people who did not belong to the designated racial group of employment opportunities at their preferred geographic location. This easily describes an adverse effect. See, in the original ruling, uh, the, the court said, yeah, it's separate, but you can't prove it's any adverse effect. Uh, the, uh, the dissent goes on to say, such a practice is one at a minimum that tends to deprive a person of employment opportunities and adversely affects his status as an employee by telling him that his job opportunities with this employer are limited by his race. Because the panel's opinion endorses the erroneous view that separate but equal workplaces are consistent with Title VII, I respectfully dissent. And that was not Barrett who dissented. She was the one the dissent was against, essentially. And that's one of a whole bunch of very, very bizarre positions that this woman has held with regard to the law. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, man, yep, I love your show. My thing is, I just, I just feel like we, we are where we're at as Americans at this time because you sort of turned your back on the working class and especially the minorities. You sort of left us alone to the 
vices of the police. And what Who's the you you're speaking now, to, Charles? Like I'm talking to Democrats, progressives, white America, suburban okay. America. Yes, because now it just seems like everybody is up in arms and is scared. And it almost seems as if you're feeling what we feel, as, I'm sorry, as a black man feels when he's walking out the door. Because you can see this, this looming threat. I mean, it's not even over the horizon no more. It's right in your face. And we got to get rid of Confederate TV. And the only thing I'm asking Joe Biden to do, first thing and foremost, is let's not worry about the health care situation or any other situation, but jobs. And also, let's put an end to, um, to, uh, to monopoly. You know, because if you do so, you would open up a brand new wave of entrepreneurs coming into the system where we can help um, people, you know, I'm sorry, the working class to get back on its feet. We can stop billionaires from taking over the conversation and, and also destroying our lives with their greed. And most of all, people just want to get back to work and get back to some type of normalcy. Now, it's, I think, a dream if we all think that it's going to just fall back into place just like that. It's just going to be one easy fix. This has been happening, or at least this is um, accumulation of releases. I think the civil rights bills were passed, and the Republicans decided that they was all out at war against this government, and they were going to do no, no matter what. They was going to do whatever it took to get to this point that we are today. And until people recognize that we all have the same fight, and it isn't because I got mine and you get yours. I mean, you know, if if we don't realize this is what's going on and we're to blame, then Trump is going to just go ahead and win this next election. And it almost seems like um, I was I was kind of mad at the impeachment because I didn't see us come out in droves. I didn't see people making phone calls like they did when um, they were threatening um, Obamacare. And I didn't see even people on the steps of the White House trying to tell these Republicans that he has to go. And because we didn't do that, because we didn't try to force, we weren't at the gates trying to pull him off, trying to get him out of there. He has led coronavirus taking over us, and he has let these Republicans just run roughshod as far as right now, <laughs> Confederate TV is winning, we're losing, and we're about to lose the most important election of our lifetime. And he will still stay there in the White House and it's going to get worse. It won't get better. And you have to look at yourself in the mirror because you're to blame. We can't do it by ourselves. You are to blame. And that's all I have to say to white progressives. Because. Okay, Charles. Thank you. Yeah, there, there have been failures. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. There have been a lot of failures over the years. There's also been a hell of a lot of hard work being done over the years by white progressives as well as people all across the spectrum, racially, geographically, politically. Um, and But I think the, the I love you know referring to Fox News as Confederate TV. Well done, Charles. Oh, the other point you made was that, you know, white people now, white progressives now, you know, like here in Portland, having white guys with Confederate flags and guns coming after us are starting to feel, oh, gee, this must be what black people feel like. Yeah, I think that's a good empathy experiment or opportunity or whatever. So, I, you know, point taken. Most people think that the racist cheerleading is limited to Trump, but this cancer is now spreading unchecked through our federal law enforcement agencies, state law enforcement agencies, and even local police agencies. There have been a number of groups that are actively and aggressively, the Oath Keepers, for example. You know, we've had Sheriff Mack on this program a number of times, one of the founders of the Oath Keepers. They are actively recruiting police into this ideology. Racism, this is racism, and the, and the, and the white supremacy ideology that underlies it are cultural, political, and societal suicide. They're the worst kinds of poison. They offer a simplified worldview that says that all our problems are caused by inferior people. And then messages like this get amplified when Trump speaks to all white audiences and says things as he did in, uh, I believe it was Wisconsin, maybe it was Minnesota last week. Uh, you guys have great genes. 
right? You're all white people. That's what he was saying. And then he doubles down when he attacks refugee communities like the Somalis in Minnesota and black legislators like Ilhan Omar and speaks the way he does about immigrants and African countries. Across America, people are realizing that there are extraordinary dangers to this kind of political rhetoric. The real life danger is, you know, it's, it's, it, it, the real life damage is, is dangerous to America and specifically to the people in America that it targets, obviously, people of color. But it really is a poison that hurts all of us. It hurts white people too. It hurts the country. It hurts democracy. It destroys our quality of life. And until the American leaders start standing up and denouncing groups like this and this movement, it's just a matter of time before we have more slaughters like we saw in El Paso or more, more mass casualty events like Tim McVeigh did in Oklahoma City or uh, what's-his-name did in Las Vegas. If, America, if white America doesn't wake up soon, this country may become an ungovernable hellhole. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And in my opinion, that's exactly what Trump and the foreign oligarchs who own him want. They want America to be an ungovernable hellhole. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. 
For our book club today, we're reading from David Blight's book, Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom. This is from the introduction. In his speech at the dedication of the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., September 24, 2016, President Barack Obama delivered what he termed a, quote, clear-eyed view of a tragic and triumphant history of black Americans in the United States. He spoke of a history that is central to the larger American story, one that is both contradictory and extraordinary. He likened the African-American experience to the infinite depths of Shakespeare and scripture. The, quote, embrace of truth as best we can know it, said the president, is, quote, where real patriotism lies. Naming some of the major pivots of the country's past, Obama wrapped up his central theme in a remarkable sentence about the Civil War era. Quote, we've buttoned up our Union blues to join the fight for our freedom. We've railed against injustice for decade upon decade, a lifetime of struggle and progress and enlightenment that we see etched in Frederick Douglass's mighty Leonine gaze. End quote. How Americans react to Douglass's gaze, indeed how we gaze back at his visage, and more important, how we read him, appropriate him, or engage his legacies, informs how we use our past to determine who we are. Douglass's life and writing emerged from nearly the full scope of the 19th century, representative of the best and the worst in the American spirit. Douglass constantly probed the ironies of America's contradictions over slavery and race. Few Americans use Shakespeare and the Bible to comprehend his story and that of his people as much as Douglass. And there may be no better example of an American radical patriot than the slave who became a lyrical prophet of freedom, natural rights, and human equality. Obama channeled Douglass in his dedication speech, knowingly or not, so do many people today. Born Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey, a slave, in Talbot County, Maryland, in February 1818, the future Frederick Douglass was the son of Harriet Bailey, one of five daughters of Betsy Bailey, and with some likelihood his mother's white owner. He saw his mother for the last time in 1825, though he hardly knew her. She died the following year. Douglass lived 20 years as a slave and nearly nine years as a fugitive slave subject to recapture. From the 1840s to his death in 1895, he attained international fame as an abolitionist, editor, orator of almost unparalleled signature, and the author of three autobiographies that are classics of the genre. As a public man, he began his abolitionist career two decades before America would divide and fight a civil war over slavery that he openly welcomed. Douglas was born in a backwater of the slave society of the South, just as steamboats appeared in bays and on American rivers, and before the telegraph, the railroad, and the rotary press changed human mobility and consciousness. He died after the emergence of electric lights, the telephone, and the invention of the phonograph. The renewed orator and traveler loved and used most of these elements of modernity and technology. Douglas was the most photographed American of the 19th century, explained in this book and especially by the intrepid research of three other scholars I write upon. Although it can never really be measured, he may also have been, along with Mark Twain, the most widely traveled American public figure of his century. By the 1890s, in sheer miles and countless number of speeches, he had few rivals as a lecturer in the golden age of oratory. It is likely that more Americans heard Frederick Douglass speak than any other public figure of his time. Indeed, to see or hear Douglass became a kind of wonder of the American world. He struggled as well with the pleasures and perils of fame as much as anyone else in his century, with the possible exceptions of General Ulysses S. Grant or P.T. Barnum. Douglass's dilemma with fame was a matter of decades, not merely of moments, and fraught with racism. The orator and writer lived to see and interpret black emancipation, to work actively for women's rights long before they were achieved, to realize the civil rights triumphs and tragedies of Reconstruction, and to witness and contribute to America's economic and international expansion in the Gilded Age. He lived to the age of lynching and Jim Crow laws, when America collapsed into retreat from the real victories and revolutions in race relations that he had helped to win. He played a pivotal role in America's second founding out of the apocalypse of the Civil War, and he very much wished to see himself as a founder and defender of the Second American Republic. In one lifetime of anti-slavery, literary, and political activism, Douglas was many things, and the set of apparent paradoxes makes his story so attractive to, to biographers as well as to so many constituencies today. He was a radical thinker and a proponent of classic 19th century political liberalism. 
At different times, he hated and loved his country. He was a ferocious critic of the United States and all its hypocrisies, but also, after emancipation, became a government bureaucrat, a diplomat, and a voice for territorial expansion. He strongly believed in self-reliance and demanded an activist interventionist government at all levels to free slaves, defeat the Confederacy, and to protect black citizens against terror and discrimination. Douglas was a serious constitutional thinker, and few Americans have ever analyzed race with more poignancy and nuance than this mostly self-taught genius with words. He was a radical editor, writer, and activist. The book Frederick Douglass by David Blight. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Farmer in Norfolk, Virginia. Hey, Farmer, what's up? Something I heard yesterday and kind of made me laugh and, and not in a good way. Because in 2010, I moved out to Norfolk, Virginia from Los Angeles, where I worked in the TV and film industry. And when I moved here, I had a chance to work on something that was really special. I thought I got to go down to Roanoke Island and shoot three spots that the Obama administration were doing with Andy Griffith to promote the ACA in reaching out to seniors. And the GOP, uh, especially the Ways and Means Committee at the time, which was ranking members because the Dems actually were in control, just screamed bloody murder about how this was using federal dollars to promote a political agenda, blah, 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 blah. Even though in 2003, I mean, 2004, the Bush administration did the same thing with the Medical Modernization Act of 2003. But, okay, hypocrisy aside, now that we find out that they're taking money from the CDC to promote these Randy Quaid, Spots. I don't know if you've heard about this. Right, a third of a billion um, dollars. <laughs> Dennis yeah, Quaid. To, yes. to promote the, the, the amazing corona response by the Trump administration, right? How that's not a political ad, I, I don't know how it is. You know, it, crickets from the GOP on this, Tom. Right. You know? No, of course. You know, hypocrisy is our middle name. Just incredible. But I just wanted to throw that out at you. Okay. Thanks a lot, Farmer. Good to hear from you. Jules in Whittier, California. Hey, Jules, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Oh, thanks, Tom. I love your show. I just so wanted to mention there was a scene in a movie. It's a western with Brando and Nicholson. I don't know if you ever saw Missouri Breaks, but uh, interesting because Brando was the regulator. You know what that is? I don't know. Well, the, the horse wrestlers, the ranchers would hire these people to get, go out for the horse wrestlers. The penalty was death, you know, for wrestling horses. Anyway, so uh, Brando is a regulator. And he's a real bad dude. He's like, uh, he loves to kill people, I guess, uh, like a Manson type. But there's one scene where Nicholson confronts him. He's in his bathtub. Uh, Brando's in his bathtub. He has a fetish for being clean, I guess. But anyway, at the end, he winds up shooting a hole in the tub, and the water drains out. And and he says before he does that, he goes, uh, Nicholson goes, you know, you're not even there. You're not even real. You know, he was talking about the bubble bath, the bubbles in the tub. You know, it was, wasn't even like a mm-hmm. type of angelic figure. But the point is, is Trump is like that. He's not even there. He's not even real. You know what I mean? He has no vision, no plan. You know, he's uh, he, he's like that. He has he's a flake. You know, he has no personality. Well, what he's really. been doing. What he's been doing for three and a half years is he's been throwing stuff out, and when it sticks, he's been he's been following it. I mean, th- this is probably a reflection of how he's done business his whole life. You know, oh, steaks, yeah. that's a great idea. We should have Trump steaks. Oh, it's Trump magazine, yes, let's do a Trump magazine. <laughs> so, for example, you know, one of his advisors came to him during the, during the uh, primaries, during the Republican primaries back in 2015, and said, uh, we're finding that building a wall on the southern border to keep you know, Mexicans and, mm. and Central and South Americans out of the country polls really well. And Trump was like, that's a really stupid idea. Mm. And the guy said, mm-hmm. yeah, but try it out. So Trump went to a rally and he said, uh, what do you think? Should we build a wall on the southern border? And people went nuts. 
And he was yeah. like, oh, this is it. And that's how it became the centerpiece of his thing. And I think that, you know, yeah. every step along the way, he starts out with the racism of birtherism, right? I mean, you know, racism right. is his brand. Right. It, it has always been his right. brand, whether it was the Central Park Five, whether it was getting mm-hmm. busted by the federal government for refusing to, to rent apartments to black people. Racism has always right. been Donald Trump's that's brand. That's right. That's so, right. So he, tra- <laughs> he goes from birtherism to, you know, Mexican rapists and murderers, his latest racist right. thing. And then, and now he's, you know, a while ago, he discovered that there were these right-wing uh, terrorist groups in the United States, these white, white supremacist terrorist groups, and that mm-hmm. uh, they liked him. And so now he's embracing them. I, he's he, just he's, constantly he, looking for the next deal. Yeah, he's in a feedback chamber. I just want to leave you with this. Thomas Jefferson said, very simply, one element of government, uh, what do you suppose it is? There's just one principle necessary, one element. What do you suppose it is, Tom? Just tell me, Joe, I'm not going to play games. It's honesty. So the corollary would be that, uh, you know, the truth will set you free or dishonesty will enslave you. So it's pretty simple. You know, when you think about it. Yeah, and, you know, and we've got a guy in the White House who's told 20,000 lies. You know, yeah. He doesn't yeah, know spot what... Thank you very much. Nine years before the oligarchs of the South declared war against the North because they wanted to preserve slavery. In fact, they wanted to impose slavery in the North. Uh, Many of these guys that these monuments have been built to just came right out and said it. Uh, Nine years before that began, Frederick Douglass gave a speech saying, what to the slave is the 4th of July? A good and important question. It continues to be a question because slavery is still legal in the United States. The 13th Amendment said that slavery can only exist under the color of law. If somebody is, is charged or convicted of a crime, then they can be held as a slave. And it's still going on in the United States. In fact, it's the main reason why we have more prisoners than any other country in the world, free labor. And then on top of that, we find that the police departments that get more 1033 equipment, they kill more people. Check it out at TomHartman.com. And welcome back. Anna in Middletown, New York. Hey, Anna, what's up? Hi. I just wanted to know why it is that people have not realized that we are still living in the past. There are people still fighting the the Civil War down south. I grew up down there. Yep. And and that's why nothing nothing ever changes. I think These that's people, one piece of... of- of this 14th Amendment denialism that uh, Amy Coney Barrett has apparently engaged in on at least a couple of occasions where she's saying the possibly illegitimate 14th Amendment. But why, but why can't people see that we need to move forward, not backward, and they're trying to move us backward? Because of racism. I mean, this is what it boils down to, Anna. There's a bunch of white people in this country probably not the majority of white people, but certainly a sizable minority of white people who, who want to live in all-white communities, who want to live in an all-white society, who don't want to have to interact with people of color, and who consider themselves superior to anybody whose skin is a little bit darker than theirs, regardless of what part of the world they came from. It's a belief and an ideology, and it has, you know, for most of the history of this country, been a, an actual political system and law. I mean, there was this whole phony science around this stuff. It's nuts. But assuming that your question was not rhetorical, the answer is real simple. Racism. Don't you think we would be better off if we got some of these old relics out of office, vote them out? I do. I do. I very much do, Anna. And I'm, I mean, some and of I'm really hopeful. I've been in there. I grew yeah, up I'm, in the South, I, and I can tell you that they treated black people. I witnessed it firsthand. They treated black people terrible. And continue to. Absolutely yes. continue to. And now you've got, you know, armed white, white guys wearing swastikas and Confederate flags showing up with guns in public spaces like we had here in Portland last weekend. And it's like the media is just like, well, look at that. It's the so-and-so group. I'm like... Really? This? Do you understand what's you know, going on it, here? It, well, it reminds you of how Hitler was with him. He wanted the Aryan race, you know? 
Yes, I mean, he did. And, and a lot of these people are, yeah, and a lot of these people are quoting Hitler. They, they absolutely are. Anna, thank you for, for the call. Nick in Santa Barbara. Hey, Nick, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? In the past, you know, in the tradition of this country, our country, we have two kinds of Christians, abolitionists and slave owners. So during the Civil War, it's obvious who won, but now I don't know what is the proportion. And uh, I see Brianna Taylor treatment. Uh, I think the struggle for justice continues. So that's what I want to say. Yeah, I think it does, too. And, you know, prior to the Civil War, the even in the southern states, the minor, a, a very small minority of people were slave owners. But that said, every white person in the South, it seems, was invested. Well, there was an abolitionist movement in the South, but every, per, every white person in the South benefited from slavery, or at least thought they benefited from slavery. And so if they were going against slavery, they would have been, you know, arguably voting against their own economic self-interest. But, but yeah, I think your, your, your point is well made, Nick. Nick, thanks a lot for the call. Isn't it mind-boggling that Donald Trump wants to stop teaching in our public schools, wants to stop teaching the history of slavery in the United States? Doesn't that tell you everything that's going on here? This is white supremacy writ large. We'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. On the Science Revolution this week, Trump never noticed a modern-day American disaster. He's trying to spread the virus as far and wide as possible. We should call this today what history will call it when it looks back on this moment, genocide. 
David Kraft with the Nuclear Energy Information Services here. It's time to end Exelon's nuclear hostage crisis. Climate risks are compounding financial challenges for Midwest nuclear plants. Plus, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist II of Michigan drops by to explain that racism is a public health crisis. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Rudy in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Rudy, what's up? Hey, my friend. We're up against the clock. And I say this to my white friends all the time. There's a blind spot that I can't even explain to you. Racism is hurting everybody in this country, and, and, and it's by way of capitalism. It's, you know, I appreciate you when you bring Richard Wolf on because he, he, he really breaks it down. We, I mean, this, it's the arrogance. I, I just don't see, are there any wise people that can stand, you know, that can stand before the American people and just point out and just say, hey, this is killing us. You know, 20 years well, from now, I hope that I'm around to, to, to see that 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 chart of, 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 of black to white and, and see if that moved. I remember 30, 30 years ago when I think 2020 had this 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 program on and they were showing this this chart from from light skinned kid to the black kid. And they all pointed to that black kid. I'm just I, I, I just want to see that day when 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 that chart moves because it's going to move hatred is a losing proposition it's never won and i'm just trying to figure out how the the blind spot because it's a blind spot and 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 tom we you always get paid back for your ignorance really if i can if i can if I can jump in here, we just have a little, little more than a minute until we're going to hit the break. I don't think it's a blind spot. I think white people are well aware of the fact that white people that we I'll, I'll speak you know, as a white person, that we've got it better than black people and Hispanic people, that we live in a caste society and we're at the top of the caste. I think white people know that. Hurt you. And there are some. It's going to hurt and there are, You're absolutely right. And there's a bunch of I'm white people who get it. that, and they t- and they tend to participate with the Democratic Party. But then there's this other group of white people who are saying, "Wait a minute, I want to hang on to this. I don't care what happens to those people. In fact, I just soon see them all die." Which was the essence of Jared Kushner's meeting in the White House in the second week of April when they figured out that more black people were dying and more people were dying in blue states than red states, and they decided not to do a damn thing about the epidemic um you know but I, this is not a blind spot rudy you know i, I think I, I would be astonished if if fewer than three quarters of all the white people in america didn't explicitly top of mind know that not only do they have it good but they have it good in part because they're participating in a system that's keeping other people down keep yelling so, it tom uh, please please yeah. please keep I'll, yelling please i'll do it rudy Thank you for the call. The Tom Harbin program. Talk media for the rest of us. Hi, Tom Harbin here. In my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, I'll be taking you from the birth of America as a revolt against monopoly. Remember the Boston Tea Party? To the largely successful efforts of both Presidents Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt and other like-minded leaders to constrain corporations' monopolistic urges, to the massive changes in the rules of business starting during the Reagan Revolution that have brought us into the cancer stage of capitalism. In the foreword by Ralph Nader, he says, this is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation, end quote. It's the fourth in my Hidden History series. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy starts with you. Tag, you're it. John in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, John, what's up? Hello, Tom. And I really appreciate you taking my call. I'm doing this as a follow-up from feeling that I had, but I've been feeling this about the Trump administration for a long time. But his calling out the white supremacists kind of validated what I've been feeling, and not just me, but a lot of other black Americans about this. And because of our history here, we can't take these things as an idle threat. 
because it's been right. perpetrated upon us before. And like I said, I've never been a gun owner, but in this age of Trump, I just got my first gun to protect my home property yesterday. Okay. So yeah. it's kind of hard. I understand how you feel about not trying to cause insurrection, but I'm looking at, at this more as a self-defense measure. I, we could, we I totally understand. Too many incidents. I mean, we've had too many in- incidents, and I'm going to tell you one that just happened in Mississippi. Two 18-year-olds riding their ATVs and two white guys, they're in jail now, were literally shooting at them, chasing them down with a truck. And this right. is happening because they were black. too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and in, and in fact, instead of calling these guys white supremacists, we should be calling them racist terrorists, because that's what they are. Exactly. The Klan is the oldest terror organization in the United States, and most of these white supremacist groups are basically spinoffs from the Klan. Yes, yes, and that's my fear. I used to vote in Washington State, used to live there, so I didn't have right. to stand in line, but now I'm here in Kansas City, and they're already doing this voter intimidation here in Missouri with these guys coming up to the voting places with their guns like they did in Virginia. And this is what I'm talking Mm. about. I'm not going out to attack anyone, but as black Americans, with our history in this country, when we didn't defend ourselves, we got ran over. Yeah. Well, John, be sure to get a gun lock and and be careful. I mean, you know, bringing a gun into a home increases by 500% the odds that somebody will accidentally die or commit suicide in that house. So, you know, you got to be careful, but I I get it. I totally get it. And, uh, you know, sadly, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of concern out there. And Trump is making it worse. And, you know, I would never advise anybody to to arm themselves. But, you know, I can't tell you that you're making a mistake. I I just you know, it's uh, you know, which is I never thought in my whole entire life that I would even be thinking like that. But I totally get it. Yeah. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's up? Tom, I uh, have uh, been listening to the program with rapt attention, as I normally do, and uh, I just wanted to say that I have a piece that I've just finished for Op-Ed News, which should be published in the next day or so, and I wanted to talk about the distinctions between uh, bigotry and, and, and racism and white supremacy, and I'll be very brief. Anyone can be a bigot, Tom. I know lots of black people that are bigots. One could even say that I'm one in certain ways. And that bigotry, as it pertains to European-Americans, one could argue, may be justified. Anyone can do that. Whether you're Asian or Hispanic, you can be a bigot. Anyone could be a white supremacist, and a lot of people don't realize this. I know many black people that are white supremacists, and I can give you examples of it. But first and foremost comes to mind, and one that uh, everyone knows would be Clarence Thomas and those like him. Racism, however implies power and the only people that can be racist in the united states as it is currently configured are european americans because they control policing they control the courts they control banking they control the utilities no one else can be a racist in america and the only people in america that can be all three are european americans and i wanted to say that yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said, and I think at various times in the past I've pretty much said pretty much everything you said, but yeah, spot on. Kenyatta, I look forward to seeing your article in Op-Ed News. I'll, I'll check it out and look for it. Hey, Donald Trump has said some pretty outrageous and in many cases just screamingly racist things over the years and very, very much trafficked in racist tropes, saying things like, you know, all Republicans must remember what they're witnessing here, a lynching, speaking about people attacking him for the things he's said, or I'm the least racist person you've ever encountered. I don't have a racist bone in my body, which is something that racists always say. What has happened to the respect for authority, the fear of retribution? Bring back the death penalty and bring back our police, says Donald Trump. You know, why do we need more Haitians? Why are we having people from all these asshole countries come here? We should have more people from places like Norway, says Donald Trump. 
Anyhow, the whole list of them is uh, posted as a video over at TomHartman.com. Check it out. Thanks so much. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you and uh, Larry in Hazel Green, Alabama. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? Tom, I just finished reading American Nations by Colin Woodard, which was published in 2010. And it is the history of how 11 different areas of the North American continent were settled by disparate and distinct cultures and a lot of that is still with us. Now, what hit me in the middle of the forehead? Are you talking about the, uh, Are you talking about European settlement or Native American settlement? Uh, European. Okay. And what hit me in the middle of the forehead was when I got to the epilogue, and he says, "What allowed this to happen so that we could form one country was the Constitution." And then he speculates as to what would break it up. And the first thing he lists is a pandemic. And I thought, bingo. The second thing he mentioned is a discredited Supreme Court. And I thought, double bingo. Uh, Looks like that's what someone's trying to do. And who would want to break up the United States except Comrade Putin, who blames us for breaking up the Soviet Union. So I am convinced that within the administration and the Congress and probably on late night phone calls to the White House, there are quizzlings among us. And uh, if we ever save the country, we're going to have to deal with the quizzlings. Larry, I completely agree with you. I don't know how to say it beyond that. I completely agree with you. Larry, thank you. Thank you for the call. Uh, the, in fact, maybe a good question for next week would be, how do we deal with these Quislings? Quislings, by the way, there's a famous Norwegian turncoat who uh, allied himself with the Nazis. His name was Quisling, thus uh, the, the, the word. Teresa in Los Angeles. Hey, Teresa, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. First of all, thank you for the show. And I'm the woman, I don't know if you remember this, back in 2008, left you all at KPOJ, those um, teal shirts saying um, Jesus was a community organizer back in the day. That was me. So today I just wanted to, you're welcome. You raised the point about most white people know that they're at the top of the caste system. And I would argue, I don't think they do. I think that they don't see it as an unearned credit that they've been given. I think they see it as an inevitable truth and mm. in some right. way other and, than and they would, white, white comfort. Right. And very often they're the same people to say, oh, you know, that's a label that we shouldn't be using or that doesn't matter or that's irrelevant or right. that's not real or, you know, and it's just it's just a bunch of crap. It's yeah. Teresa, thank you for the call. George in Santee, California. Hey, George, what's up? Yes. Uh, the president likes to weaponize the word Antifa. I would like mm-hmm. someone to ask him, Mr. President, are you anti-fascist? Uh, right. Uh, you know, he will figure out a way to waffle on that, just like, you know, when they when they ask him if he'll denounce racism and he refuses to do it. I mean, you know, it's just, he's just going to, that's going to be. Any, I can't think of anything that's more patriotic American than to be anti-fascist myself. Now, I don't agree with any violence in, from anybody, but. Yeah, the word anti-fascist. If you're anti-fascist, that's a good thing. I would think so. Uh, you know, you would think that people would be, you know, proud of being anti-fascists. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not hearing that from anybody in the Republican Party or, you know, anybody affiliated with the Republican Party. It just it just seems like, you know, eh, shrug your shoulders and, you know, Antifa. Let's and Fox News is really leading the charge on this. This is the bizarre thing. They and they, and they just laid off their fact checkers. If you look at the headlines, you can find the story. In fact, it's on Drudge Report today that Fox News basically has laid off their brain trust, the people who are keeping them honest. You know, surprise, surprise. <laughs> George, thank you for the call. 
Share the Tom Hartman program with your friends. We're available on Sirius XM, Free Speech TV, Pacifica, commercial stations nationwide, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, on the Tom Hartman app, and you can even tell your smart speaker to listen to the Tom Hartman program. Steve in St. Genevieve, Missouri. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? Yeah, every time he says Hunter Biden, they should talk about Ivanka and uh, Jared. But my question is, okay, have they changed the laws in the states where if you're born in any state, you're an American, right? Right. Okay. That's the 14th Amendment. Once you're, well, once you're born, you also get a Social Security card. How come well, you not automatically, automatically be, but yes. Right, within weeks or months or whatever. But well, why yeah, Somebody has to apply for it. Maybe they're automatic now, but... So why your point you is, why can't that be automatic voter registration? You got it. It is in most other countries. In most of the developed democracies in the world, your voter registration is just automatic. It comes with you being a citizen and being a taxpayer and all those kind of things. And it could be here in the United States. Uh, you know, I think anybody who is, uh, who is male and remembers the 60s you know, knows how efficient the draft board can be at tracking you down. It should be equally easy to track down voters. In other words, to specify, okay, these these people are voters. So, yeah, Steve, spot on. I'm totally with you. Thank you. Mary in Greenville, Michigan. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Yes, I got a piece of literature from the Faith and Freedom Coalition from Dr. Ralph Reed. And one of the statements in here mm-hmm. is that the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives recently voted to allow illegal aliens to vote in U.S. elections. Well, I knew that wasn't right, so I called Debbie Dengel. That's a lie. Pardon? Right. Yeah, it is. I said uh, that's a where lie. It from, <laughs> where it comes from is that the first thing that the Democrats did is uh, the H.R. 1 was for the People Act, a voting act. And while they were going through Mm -hmm. it, a Republican member wanted to amend the bill with a statement saying they condemn voting by illegal aliens. The thing is that there are some certain localities, apparently San Francisco is one of them, where in certain like school elections, they let all residents of the area, legal or illegal, vote in the school election. And so right, and there are some, and there are some uh, vote, localities that allow 16-year-olds to vote as well. Yeah. So when it came to a vote uh, on this amendment, the Democrats, yes, they voted to condemn. So they voted not to accept that condemnation of voting by illegal aliens. But this is the kind of misinformation that's coming out from the Republicans. They take a small, tiny piece of information and blow it up into a major you know, reason not to vote for Democrats. Yeah. 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 They're masters of this. You know, it's it's uh, it's a variation on Abraham Lincoln's old, uh, you know, figures don't lie, but liars can figure, you know, facts don't lie, but you can selectively use facts to create some really, really extraordinary lies. And uh, when the when you are the party of billionaires and multinational corporations, when you are the parties of weapons manufacturers and and polluting industries, when you are the party of white supremacists and Nazis, you've got to lie in order to get people to vote for you. Uh, It's just that simple. And that's what that's what you're seeing there. And, and, you know, sadly, and that's what we'll, we'll continue to see. Mary, thank you. Thanks for the heads up on that. That's terrible. Lorna. Hey, Lorna, what's on your mind today? I have just, I have had it in my head, well, since Trump was elected, that I have had it in my head that he is a narcissist because of how he words everything. And I know everyone has been coming out about he might be, but he is so destructive. I worry he's going to just take down our states and cause us to burn. And I really don't want that to happen. I live in I live on the on the West Coast, so it's you know that he just thinks everyone is responsible for the fires, and it's like, hey, come on, can you help us with the global warming thing? He's been hurting that, but I worry that is there anything I can do aside from I can send people 
in in Congress, my my objections. I know how to do it. I send them emails saying, "Please support me. Do this, do that." But I never get responses. Yeah. One of the best activist groups out there, Lorna, is and don't despair. We will get through this. One of the best activist groups out there is Indivisible. Go to indivisible.org and sign up, and you'll be ex- you'll be very very pleased with all the opportunities that they will provide you with to participate in this process. Lorna, I wish you the very best. We will, we will get through. This is the Tom Hartman Program. In our book club today, our book is Border Wars, Inside Trump's Assault on Immigration by Davis and Scheer. This is from the uh, prologue on page five. A Donald John Trump never meant for a giant wall across the entire southwest border to be the totem of his presidential campaign or the icon of his presidency. And he certainly never thought it would be the omnipresent reminder of his biggest frustrations in the White House. But it's because of all those things and the story of how it did, or what it became, but it became all those things. And the story of how it did is the story of Trump's assault on immigration. Conceived of almost by accident out of political expediency and sheer marketing powers, the wall perfectly captured the us versus them spirit that animated Trump's candidacy, became a symbol of the same working class disaffection and sense of alienation they had first tapped into by questioning Barack Obama's birthplace. For a politically inexperienced president who is untethered from any particular ideology, the wall was a centering force, an organizing principle for his promises. He would fix what was broken in the country. And what better symbol of America's problems than a deeply dysfunctional immigration system that had become a third rail of politics, too charged for either party to touch? Trump vowed to cut through all that, a Manhattan developer who would take a figurative hammer and nail to the task. In doing so, he would gleefully raise a middle finger to political correctness and to the Republican establishment that was looking for ways to appeal to Hispanic voters. And while he was at it, Trump would fan the flames of fear and insecurity by promising to wall off the United States from the threats he imagined were just across the threshold. The them who looked and sounded different from us. Was it racism? Nativism? Xenophobia? Trump and those who knew him best swore that it was not. But Trump's instincts clearly tended toward bigotry, the belief that foreigners were a threat and the native-born Americans were inherently more deserving. And his agenda held deep appeal to white supremacists and others who had felt shut out of politics in America for years, chastised for their views and obsessed with an agenda of racial purity. The appeal for Trump was much simpler and more basic. He was a marketing genius, a branding maven, And fear of the other, he discovered at his campaign rallies, sells like gangbusters. It worked as well on audiences in places like Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, whose once thriving industrial manufacturing workers felt displaced and distraught, as it did in states on the border with Mexico that had been profoundly changed by immigration and immigrants. But as potent a campaign message as the wall became for Trump, and as strong as its gravitational pull grew after he took office. It also stood as a symbol of everything that plagued his immigration policy. It reflected Trump's fixation with ideas that had political power, but were often impossible to implement. His ever-changing dictates about its dimensions and materials were the most concrete examples of the whims of a fickle and deeply insecure president who always grasped for the solution that looked toughest. He pursued the wall over the objections of the career public servants who always knew that a wall was not the solution, just as he would disregard their advice and legal counsel on so many other immigration matters. It was a one-dimensional approach to a complex problem, in large part based on his own ignorance. His determination to build the wall over the objections of Congress reflected his cavalier approach to the law, which invited court challenges at every turn. The years-long war he waged over the wall revealed a bundle of contradictions that was Trump himself, a resident of one of the most diverse cities on the planet who married two immigrants but was hostile to outsiders, a businessman enamored of cheap and readily available labor who pressed for cuts to legal immigration, a self-styled master negotiator who could not cut a deal with Congress on immigration to save his life. Build that wall was the incessant soundtrack of Trump's frenzied campaign rallies, But once in office, he discovered that doing so was an operational, legislative, and legal quagmire that would swallow up his political capital and leave him deeply frustrated. 
It was a pattern that played out on every level of Trump's immigration agenda. His Muslim ban was an early indication of how the rush to fulfill his campaign promises could sow chaos and spark court challenges. Plotted in secret because Trump's advisors were certain deep state bureaucrats would kill it in the cradle. The travel order embodied the president's approach. Propose something outrageous, divisive, and potentially illegal. Watch your political opponents lose their minds criticizing it. Ask questions and provide policy rationales later. Trump's decision to end protections for dreamers, the undocumented young immigrants who have been brought into the United States as young children, set the stage for months of fighting with Congress and revealed his conflicting instincts, a desire to be seen as compassionate even as he disparaged S-hole countries in Africa and unleashed bare-knuckled tactics on immigrants. His decision to separate migrant children, some just a few months old, from their parents at the border, pointed up profound conflicts inside his administration. Some had warned of the dire consequences of a plainly cruel tactic, while others argued that it was the only effective way to deter a horde of migrants from rushing the border. It was one of the only times that Trump retreated under pressure, unwilling to endure a backlash that included members of his own family. And a curious thing, perhaps predictable in retrospect, happened as Trump's immigration crackdown unfolded throughout the country. An actual crisis, different but no less urgent than the one he was constantly warning Americans about, began to develop and worsen at the border. Border Wars by Davis and Scheer. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 